0: Hi, my name is Maya.
1: Um, And I'm Cameron.
0: And welcome to Sound Advice. In today's episode, we're gonna be discussing racism in music education. But first, let's just introduce ourselves a little bit. So Cameron, would you like to go first?
1: Yes, I would, Maya, thank you. Um, Obviously, my name is Cameron. Um, I am from originally Houston, Texas, and I now live in Denton, where I go to UNT at the University of North Texas, and I am a choral music education major, um, which basically means that I'm a choir nerd and like to sing. Um, Maya, do you want to talk about yourself a little bit?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, So obviously, my name is Maya. I'm from the San Antonio area. Um, but I go to UNT now, so I'm up here in Denton, North Texas. Period. Yes. (laughs) Um, and I am a instrumental music ed, so basically that means I'm a big band nerd. And, um, (laughs) just for fun fact, I play the French horn. All right, so today we're gonna be talking about racism in music ed, which I mentioned earlier, Um, but I'm gonna get rid of the elephant in the room first and mention a couple things before we get started. So um, myself, I am half white and half uh, Mexican American. I'm actually half Italian, half Mexican American, but I am white passing. And um, I think this is really important um, in this time and in this age to address these things and make sure that yes, we are white passing, but we need to you know, unite as a people and we need to be talking about these issues no matter our race. But I do wanna just put that out there for everyone as a little disclaimer. Um, and Cameron, would you like to go ahead and take it from here?
1: Yeah, um, I'm obviously, well not obviously, no one can see me, it's just a podcast, but I am also white presenting. I'm just white, um, fully European. But I still think it's obviously really important to talk about, like, racial injustice and inequality in education, especially as someone who is white and, like, benefits like from, like, privilege in society um, to bring up these issues. A lot of times teachers don't acknowledge that racial issues are, like, super prevalent in today's society and just, like, schools in general, um, because a lot of schools are, like, predominantly white and black, and that's, like, due to blatant redlining Um, And a lot of people don't talk about redlining, but for people who are listening and don't know what that is, the actual definition is the systematic denial of various services or goods by governments or the private sector, either directly or through the selective raising of prices. Um, This often has a direct impact on school districts, but basically... Um, the drawing of school districts is mainly rooted in like real estate redlining, which is a form of lending discriminations against black families that originated in the 1930s. This, what basically occurred is that banks in the U.S. would deny mortgages and lending money to families that wanted to live in certain areas. And so these areas became predominantly white. And then Black families were often segregated into areas of just all Black families. And this is kind of rooted in like school districts, how some places are schools are completely white, and then some are like almost completely people of color. And that's because of like this redlining that was done in the 1930s. That's why I think it's important for educators to talk about obvious racial injustice because there's a history there and we need to discuss it with our students or just be aware of it because it is so prevalent in our society.
0: Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. So in doing some research about this topic, especially because, you know, we decided we're going to talk about this. I don't want to just say what's on my mind. You always have to do research. And that's kind of like the principle with these type of things and, um, you know, these type of situations. But I learned about Juliet Hess. She is actually a white scholar who does a lot of Research on um, equity in music ed, um, just in education in general, um, diversity, culture, all of that. And she does a really great job. And I like what she really had to say. I, you know, addressed the elephant in the room earlier. Cameron and I are both white passing. Um, and I love what she has to say about this starting this conversation. She says, um, quote, Further, as a white scholar doing anti-racist work, there is actually a paradox hidden in my ability to start these conversations about race and white privilege. In situations where a person of color may be shut down for being angry or having an agenda, my own positionality is often read as neutral, allowing me to start a discussion, a terrible irony in the work of anti-racism. So, what she's basically saying there is yes, I am white. And in situations in the past, like that's why it is important for us to talk about that. Because in situations in the past where people of color are You know, oftentimes they are shut down. You know, they're talking about their injustices and their racism and people just say, well, you're just angry or you have an agenda or you just want, you know, people will try to twist their words and say, oh, you just want other people to suffer. And it's important that we start these conversations because, you know, ultimately, the reason why there is racism is because there are people who are sometimes closed-minded. You know, I hate to say it and it's not like a great way to describe a person, but people who look like them and speak like them are the only people that are going to get across to them and the only way that we're going to make progress with this issue.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that it's really and awfully ironic that the only way that let's say like racist or like we can just say racist people often Racist like white people, the only way that they're going to listen or acknowledge the racial injustice is for other white people to start the conversation. Because anytime like a like you said, anytime a like person of color tries to bring it up, they're just shut down for being like angry or aggressive, and it's not right. Now that we've addressed uh, the importance of talking about racial inequality as educators, Maya, do you want to talk about some of your experiences in the band world?
0: Sure. Um, growing up in band programs throughout, um, you know, even elementary school, you know, we did music class and I actually did choir in elementary school. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in middle school and high school, um, there was racism, honestly, every day. And sometimes it's hard to like digest you know at that time a lot of things i didn't really see were racist and sometimes racism is not always like blatantly like you know like sometimes we see on the news like it's not super aggressive and ugly sometimes it's honestly just in the way that we've been taught you know racism is taught and racism is learned sometimes um we don't realize that it's taught and learned sometimes it's just ingrained in our brains, like I am talking about in music ed growing up in um, throughout school. Um, A lot of times the music that we did in all throughout, you know, my education in music was from the Western canon, from the Western influence. I almost never experienced any music from uh, Black composers, um, even other cultures, Native American composers, nothing. All I learned growing up in honestly elementary middle and high school band was from just white men and it's really sad and unfortunately like these kind of racial injustices like I said they're not blatant and they're not ugly but it's just it just really does them an injustice because their art and their uh, music is just as good as what white men write. It's just as beautiful, it's just as moving, and it's just as inspiring as the music that I listen to every day.
1: Do you think that these microaggressions towards these people of color who are just as talented and just as musical, do you think that um, this lack of representation in like your um, adolescent like musical career, do you think it has shaped maybe your implicit bias
0: Unfortunately, of course, you know, Uh, I myself, like most of the stuff I do listen to and I love the classics. I love Tchaikovsky. I love um, Shostakovich. Like I love all of these white and European composers. But at the same time, it's like I, I I'm learning more every day. And especially coming to UNT, like I've learned so much more. And I know that do, in doing research, there's so much out there from African-American composers, I can name a few. There's Florence Price, there's, um, like, a, a bunch of jazz, like, pretty much jazz is inspired by African-American culture, and I love jazz music, and I don't know why we don't include it in um, early music ed. Like, we can include things like jazz in elementary, in middle school, and high school, and a lot of times they're just overlooked or you know, not really paid that much attention to or the program and the funding is really small and little for those type of programs.
1: Yeah, Maya, I really agree with you. I really think that representation is um, a part of the solution to making like it known and making racial equality like something that we talk about as educators. Um, I just think that it is important to be careful about how we're actually including this um, representation because representation i definitely think is a fine line between like the positive obviously the positive side of representation to like the more like appropriation side of representation that isn't so um positive uh there is this like kind of practice that like occurs within the core world that i think is kind of like problematic and similar to that i don't think people really talk about enough it's what i would call like diversifying choir programs um it sounds like it'd be a good idea but it's kind of becomes problematic when because choir directors will often choose repertoire that's completely composed by like white people specifically white men Mm -hmm. um and then they'll choose a spiritual or gospel piece and just plop it at the end of their program because like I, in quotations, it's a good closer.
0: Yeah, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I kind of have a problem with that because like nine oh. times like out of ten, like choir directors like do not take the time to like talk about like where these like this piece comes from or the historical significance. Um, like in history of these pieces, because these pieces like have like such a rich and like kind of like bloody and awful history a lot of the times, like with some of these um, spiritual pieces. And um, when we perform these pieces in a way that does not preserve the like the stylistic integrity of the piece, like it kind of leads to like that stereotypical cringy all white like person choir performance. Um, of like a spiritual at the end of the concert. And I just don't think that's right. Um, it's just a kind of this appropriation. And I don't think that this, like when people do this, when choir directors specifically do this or just musicians in general, um, I don't think it's born out of like any malicious intent, but I do think that it's born out of ignorance and complacency. As, but as educators, we kind of, it's our job to be on the watch for ignorance within ourselves and other people. And we we should be the first line of people who are not complacent when it comes to racism, because complacency and ignorance when it comes to like racial inequality is basically the same as being complicit in like racial acts of discrimination. Because that kind of, it, it is a microaggression whenever we put these spirituals at the end of the piece. And it's, like, it basically delegitimizes the struggles of, like, hundreds of years of, like, p- like, people of color. Like, we're just taking, we'll take, we take their culture and just basically show that we know nothing about it and put it th- at the end of a choir concert and be like, here, look, we're diverse. But it kind of does the exact opposite. It shows that you're not educated and you're not um, aware of, like, what you're singing about. And that's like really important if we're trying to talk about racial inequality is to talk about like the smaller microaggressions that people don't think are a big deal because there's it's so easy to like change
0: it. Yeah. And um, in in talking about that, like you said, it's so easy to change it. Um, and coming to UNT, I mentioned a little bit of this earlier. I'm becoming much more educated in. You know, African American music and culture and not just African American, other cultures as well, Latin American, um, jazz, um, you know, Afro Cuban, like all these other styles that, you know, normally aren't introduced into music. And one of the professors that I noticed here at UNT, he's a um, theory professor. His name is Dr. Graf. Um, he, uh, is like, I think he's actually, yeah, he's the head of the theory and oral department here at UNT, and he does a really amazing job with his theory and oral department, he sets up tutoring and all, yeah, he's just a really great guy, he's but, awesome. um, yeah, um, of course, and, One of the examples that he used in one of his lessons is he used a piece by Florence Price, who I mentioned earlier. She's an African-American and female composer, which is like two wins because, you know, a lot of times in music, females are also underrepresented, um, which is a whole nother podcast. (laughs) It really (laughs) is. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully someone's talking about that, too. But. Um, Dr. Graf, he used uh, Florence Price's um, sonata in E minor. He used it to not only teach, he used, all three movements, and he used each one to teach something else. He used it to teach modal mixture, sonata form. It was such a really great piece, honestly, that, like, I I didn't even know. Um, But I went back in my notes because I was like, what was that piece in my theory uh, homework the other day? I went back, and it said Florence Price, African-American female composer. I did some research, and, you know, I downloaded the sonata because it's really beautiful, and it was, like, a really great lesson, and that stuck with me, and that, like, made an imprint on me. And, like, things like that, including... Um, composers in your classrooms and in your band programs and choir programs is just ultimately, like that's the kind of change that we're wanting to see and that we need to do as educators, especially, you know, Cameron and I, we're young. We're still in college. We have time. And learning about these things now and addressing these things now is going to only help our future students. By educating ourselves, we're going to be helping to educate who knows how many hundreds of students you and I will both have over the years.
1: I, I really agree with you. I think that Dr. Graf is such a great example of someone who is making a difference and taking action in creating like, diverse lesson plans and actively showing representation in the lesson plans that he teaches. And I think another person of note on the UNT uh, music faculty is my choir director, Dr. Napolis. This entire year, she's basically made it a point to showcase black choral composers and keep the conversation going about racial inequality, especially after it's not as trendy um, on social media. Yeah even though like our fall semester concert was themed on idiomatic and non enneumatic pieces by black choral composers, she made a point like this semester during the spring to like emphasize that just because like our theme is not necessarily centered around black composers that like the representation and diversity in like the programs, like in programs that we make like hers and ones that we'll make as like music educators in the future. It's just as important that you don't stop Whenever the themed concert is over, just because you're like, oh, you do like a themed concert about an important topic. Once you do that, like, make sure that you're aware of what composers and what like race they are, and make sure that you're showing representation even after like people aren't necessarily talking about it as much because that that's like true action and true um, like equality. right i think that's it for today's podcast everyone thank you for listening this has been sound advice with maya and cameron and we hope that with this episode a conversation with everyone is not only started but continued about how we as educators and as people can be more aware and take action against racism
0: bye everyone Bye. bye